0: Hey everyone, my name is Amy Sudo and you're listening to the Kingdom of Pavement podcast. Today on the show I have my guest Dave who's going to introduce himself and today we're talking about all things, advice that we've received about the industry, our favorite uh, pieces of advice and content and books, uh, and things that we've been told to do, things we've been told not to do, and how in the end all advice cancels to zero.
1: It does, it does indeed. And I'm so excited to be here with you on the podcast. A little bit about myself. I was born and raised in central Pennsylvania. And after high school, uh, I did missionary school in the Dominican Republic in the Amazon jungle of Peru. And after that, I was in the military for a few years as an airborne qualified infantryman uh, before returning to school in Pennsylvania, and then moving out to Silicon Valley where I did tech startups for a few years. And most recently, getting into the whole writing and entertainment business and um, Long time listener of Kingdom of Pavement in my long time since episode one. <laughs> and uh, so excited to be on this podcast and to share what we've been learning.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, you've been like such a phenomenal uh, supporter of our podcast. and We really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, and I also love the really intricate thoughts that you have about the business in general and especially coming from a tech background, which we've talked a lot about this week when you've been in town about how kind of your tech knowledge has helped you approach the hustle of coming out here to L.A. and the hustle of learning how to be a writer and uh, I think it's what's really cool when I first sat down to like meet you in person because we've been talking we met in person once a long time ago briefly uh, briefly (laughs) at a bouldering (laughs) gym gym, when I was interviewing uh, Idalia Valles for my piece about her how she helped me overcome my fear of heights. And when I sat down with you when we had coffee last week, what really struck me is how you put in the time for being a writer. You decided not only have you lived so many different lives, but when you wanted to be a writer, you just sequestered yourself and wrote so much and became a writer and you're still learning. And I think that's really awesome. So I would love to hear a little bit more about kind of how you are jumping into writing and... Um, a little bit more about the moment that you decided to be a writer, because I think that's really scary for a lot of people to be like, I am a writer and what that looks like. So I want to hear a little bit more about your journey with that.
1: Well, I'll start with my anti-writer moment and it was fifth grade and I already knew I was bad at music class. Uh, I knew I was bad at art class. I couldn't draw well and my pottery wasn't very good. And finally my moment in the sun arose and they asked who was interested in theater or drama. And I instantly raised my hand and got selected for the uh, school-wide, the district-wide um, drama performance, which turned out to be a musical theater show. Ooh. Which actually, my now best friend, and we just met at the time, was like the star of the show. Well, I wasn't a great singer or dancer, and so I was kind of relegated to the back. Uh, and that was kind of the moment that squashed out any hopes or ambitions oh, no. of being like a creator. And even still, though, I was, though, I was kind of told that I was a good writer in middle school and high school and in, in English class and whatnot but it was always kind of technical writing right like uh you know whether it was memoir style narratives or you know technical pieces I never thought I'm a creative writer I can create something interesting and it was actually when I was leaving tech and went out to Machu Picchu just kind of taking a break from everything and did a trek to Machu Picchu for uh five days and it's like a 60 mile trek you Start started Cusco, which is like 10,000 feet elevation. Oh, wow. You go up to 15,000 feet, uh, the peak of Salcante. I didn't do the Inca truck, I did the Salcante truck. And then you go down, and then you go up to Machu Picchu. And it was just mind-blowing. It was the most spiritual experience I'd ever had to think about we were walking the same roads and routes that the Incas had taken. And when you get to Machu Picchu, it is just such a spiritually empowering place. Whether it's the details that they've taken with the sun alignment, with the moon, the stars, everything there serves in it absolute purpose and alignment with the earth and um, and so I that kind of inspired me to kind of create this idea for a story I actually want to do a video game first interestingly enough but guess what AAA video games are like a hundred million dollars <laughs> I didn't never hundred million dollars sitting around I didn't even have five to ten million dollars which is what you need <laughs> for like a great indie video game and so I said well what can I do you can do a book you can do a book version the book first is successful then someone will give me a hundred million dollars could they go do a triple video game or five and 10 million to do an indie video game. I tried to list my sister who had always been interested in creative writing. And at some point I tell people it's like the scene, I think it's the end of Guardians of the Galaxy where, you know, the, the, the elevator comes up, the thing opens and it's the infinity gauntlet and Thanos grabs the infinity gauntlet and he's like, fine, I'll do it myself. And it's like all other options have failed you. And you realize like nobody's coming to save you. Mm. And that was kind of the one thing I learned that got me into writing, which was no one's coming to save me. If I want to do Mm. this creative idea, I have to do it myself. I have to be able to learn the skills and be able to write for myself. And I think that is very similar to technology. You'll see a lot of times founders in tech who are like, hey, I have this great idea for an app. You know, I own a Jeep Wrangler and an app that will tell me that it's going to rain and i should put the top back <laughs> on my Jeep. rent people actually message me about this idea and i'm like you know what it's called the weather app like it already exists like the weather app tells you if it's going to rain but then they go and pitch a thousand people they say hey i have a great app you can do all the work but i'll give you a, a little piece of the pie and of course the coder is like oh wow thank you i can do all the work and get a small piece of the pie uh-huh. and it's not really motivating But if you learn to code, and in this case learn to write, actually learn to create, then instead of relying and begging other people to help you bring your ideas to reality, you're actually now the one who's writing the code. And coming from tech, that was kind of my perspective. I was like, oh, in this industry, the writer is the coder. The writer is the one who creates the building blocks upon which everything else is built. Someone Mm -hmm. else may be selling it, selling it, or designing it, or producing it, but the coder, the writer, is really the, the core piece of it. And I was like, you know what, I saw in tech where my disadvantage is that I wasn't a coder. I said I'm not going to make that same mistake. This time, I don't know how, I know I'm a good writer for like memoir and narrative and technical stuff, but I've never done like creative writing before, creative fiction, and that's what I'm going to do. And I'd really always been interested in fantasy. I read uh, even some of the books on my list. Uh, I'd read The Name of the Wind, I'd read The Wheel of Time series. You know, A Song of Ice and Fire, which most people know as Game of Thrones. <laughs> and just a ton of those, you know, really kind of Rushmore fantasy books and sci-fi books. And I knew that was kind of the genre that I wanted to do. And so I started with this concept of, um, of doing a fantasy, a fantasy series around kids time traveling to Machu Picchu. And that was how I got into the writing when I realized, hey, I can't hire someone. I can't afford to hire someone to go write this story for me. And I don't know anyone who's interested enough. And I think that's part of it, too. You realize no one else cares about your idea as much as you do. Like, I know, Amy, Amy, for you, you've recently developed a pilot based on your hometown and a sizzle roll for that. You have, you know, other projects yet to be named also. And the reality is nobody cares about those as much as you do. You have the perspective. You have the unique storytelling point of view. And that's what I realized, that, that Thanos moment where you realize, No one cares as much about this as I do. Mm -hmm. I have to do this thing myself. But in my case, it wasn't like I had an infinity gauntlet readily at my (laughs) disposal. It's like it involved me having to learn how to actually kind of build that parachute on the way down.
0: That's really neat. And especially this idea of no one is coming to save you. And I think that... Uh, we'll get to this in a second, but uh, the idea that we're waiting for people to anoint us mm-hmm. and to recognize our talent when we have to do that ourselves. Absolutely. And we have to first acknowledge that we are writers or we are, are creative people to take that next step of actually being creative and practicing so that we can get to the level that we want to be at. Um, so I wanna, I'm want to i curious about how... Uh, I, I want to hear more about your Reddit story uh, and kind of that experience in terms of breaking into the industry and how you kind of learned the skills and the tools you needed to go and like sequester yourself into a cave and write for several months. Because I think a lot of people think if they get to the point where I'm a writer, no one's going to save me. The next question is, what do I do next? And they don't understand the hustle of how to hone those skills. So I want to hear a little bit about your revelations in that kind of sphere.
1: Yeah, I think absolutely. Um... I think one of the things I recognized from the bat is that what I was trying to do was essentially going from, from you know, I played sports as a kid and that's the kind of analogy I use, going from the high school straight to the pros and skipping this college step. Because a lot of people, yourself included, went to school to study this, uh, I spent several years in the industry, and this idea, crazy idea, to think that I could go from high school to the pros is already such a giant moonshot. I knew to have any chances of success, it was going to take just an inordinate amount of work to do it. I did get a push from uh, a producer, so I wrote a, a, a first a first draft, a vomit draft, of kind of this time travel fantasy concept I had based around Machu Picchu, and we posted it on Reddit. A producer saw it, who had been involved with Superhero Franchise, he reached out to said it was a really cool concept, and came out here to LA, met with him for a few hours, was really excited. And then we k- kind of get to the book part of the process, and he's like, man, I got through six pages, and I had to put it down. And I'm thinking, like, wow, like, six pages of this novel, and you had to put it down. It moved you so much. It was so <laughs> good. You had to put it down just six pages. <laughs> and then he's like, "And my wife told me that I should read, uh, I should keep reading. I was like, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> and then he's like, I read 50 pages the second time. Now, mind you, this is like 100 pages of, like a, of a novel, because this is like the word format that he's reading it yeah. in, right? And I'm like, this definitely isn't good. And he's just like, you know what? You just don't have it yet. Like, and you have, you really good storyteller. You have really good concept, really good ideas, but your writing isn't up to snuff. And of course, I wanted to be defensive. I was like, well, I didn't know. I'm coming from tech. And in tech, you can send the MVP, which <laughs> is the minimum viable product. And you can send the least, like, Paul Graham in tech always says, you should be embarrassed by your early content. That was my welcome to Hollywood, which is like, no, 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 no. Done is not better than perfect. Perfect is better than done. Mm -hmm. And you can't just send someone your vomit draft and think that they're going to have a positive reaction. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I thought, hey, he wants to make a movie. He's going to go hire a screenwriter anyways. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, I know that this concept is good enough or he wouldn't have reached out and wanted to talk about turning it into a movie. But the writing isn't good enough. Well, I don't have the time. No, do I want to spend $100,000 to go to grad school, get an MFA. Not that anyone who does that is... Taking the wrong choice, but for me personally, I didn't feel that it was the right time for me. Mm-hmm. I said, "I'm going to use every single resource available." I downloaded and listened and/or read every single back uh, issue of art of Script Notes podcast.
2: Yes. I
1: followed uh, uh, Michael Arndt' his endings video. He's the writer of Toy Story Three and Little Miss Sunshine. He wrote the first draft of Star Wars Force Awakens. I, uh, I watched that probably a dozen times. I did all the screenwriting related master classes mm-hmm. on MasterClass. Shonda Rhimes, Sean Ryan and yeah I mean just amazing and then at the end of the day, I think at one point I was reading one to two screenplays a day for about 45 days
0: wow
1: and it was just you know everyone that I was seeing who actually was in the business you could see like the verified tag on 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 reddit would be like at the end of the day like you not just me but anyone on reddit you got to be reading screenplays and i was like yeah that makes sense like you read novels, you, can, you, 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 become, you learn how to become a writer. I just had to learn, I did to read screenplays. I was like, I'm just going to skip the whole step of trying to write the great American fantasy novel and just skip to writing a screenplay version of it. And, and at some point I realized it was like, trying to play catch-up, trying to join the NFL from the high school football, trying to play in the NBA from high school basketball, trying to go to the Olympics from high school track, you realize you're going up against the people who are the best in their school, and then when they went to college, they were the best in their college. And then when they went to the pros, they were the best in the pros. And you're gonna say, oh, just because you're a great writer in high school or college, then now all of a sudden, you're gonna go compete with people who've been doing this and putting the work. And I said, you know, no, 10,000 hours has been both, you know, exaggerated and people have now kind of denounced it. But I didn't, I didn't have a goal of 10,000 hours specifically, but I knew at some point I just had, I, you know, as some people have said a million words is the minimum. So I don't know what the count. I don't even track how many words I write. Mm-hmm. I just said, I knew I needed to write, period. Point blank, full stop. I wrote a first draft feature of the feature I was working on that the producer had recently been. That was like 154 pages. And I started seeing people on Reddit who you could tell who were like in the industry. They're like, you need a portfolio. Some of you guys are working for 10 years on one screenplay, where really it'd be better for you if you were working on two or three because when your manager or agent's looking at your portfolio, they're like, hey, You wrote one good thing because you worked on it for 10 years, but can you write anything else? What else Mm -hmm. do you got? Or even better or worse, depending on how you look at it, they like what you're doing, but they're like, hey, I don't love this, but I like your style. What else do you have for me? And my answer at the time was nothing. I don't have anything else. (laughs) And so I said to myself, I got to start putting putting stuff together. And so December, I, I moved back to my family's house in Pennsylvania, and I said to myself, I'm just going to write until I feel like I have that quote-unquote portfolio. Now, it's obviously hard in a vacuum because I didn't really have any screenwriter friends we hadn't met yet. I didn't know people in the industry who could give me the vetted feedback. The producer that I met with was super busy. He wasn't going to read drafts of, of my verses of screenwriting, right? And But I just kind of put myself literally in the woods in Pennsylvania and said, I'm just going to write until I have a portfolio. Portfolio may not be good enough. But at least I can show people that I've written multiple things outside of my one big aha moment, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And from December to April, I was just grinding away. Wrote four, uh, four pilots, um, and then another feature length kind of sample. And then when I and you could, I could feel the difference when I came to LA in April because then when I came, I felt the confidence of someone. This is April had only been twelve months after I would met with the producer, mm-hmm. but I had the confidence of saying, hey. I wrote a feature version of that, I wrote a pilot version, I also have three other pilot samples and a feature sample and I may not be in a writer's group or have them vetted by people, by managers or people who are really in the industry, but at least I had something, I had log lines, I could send it to people and when the Solidarity Challenge came up I was able to connect with a couple different showrunners, a couple different screenwriters and crucially get feedback on the writing. Because that's the ironic thing I think about Reddit and Facebook and the amateur, community is very similar to Silicon Valley. The Silicon Valley mark of a noob in Silicon Valley is, (laughs) oh, I don't wanna share my idea with anyone because someone's gonna steal it. Mm -hmm. The mark of a noob screenwriter in Hollywood is, oh, I don't wanna share my screenplay with anyone because someone's gonna steal my idea. When the reality is the best people in the world, like you and other people who are on their way to becoming the best people in the world, they're begging people who are in the know to read their writing because that's the only way it's gonna get good enough. You're in writer's groups you're getting feedback from your manager and that's the only way to get better. And so that was one huge lesson I learned from the amateur mindset, which is I don't want anyone to read my thing because it's this amazing concept and you switch your mind to, no, 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 no. I need people, but I don't want anyone to read it. Mm-hmm. I want people who know what they're talking about to read it and really give painstaking notes. And that's been the single biggest thing I think. But again, how do you meet people, if you're not in LA, how do you meet people who are actually in the screenwriting business and I think that's, you know, something that uh, social media can help a little bit, but at the end of the day, you, you have, to come, you to, have to come. <laughs> the best advice I ever got for startups yeah. was move to San Francisco. And mm-hmm. I did that. And you would literally just meet people walking down the street. And be like, oh, that's so-and-so I just saw on TechCrunch. or So-and-so is a billion-dollar... I was at the bathroom at a party, and the CEO and co-founder of Dropbox just shows up right next to in the bathroom next Mm -hmm. to me that's not something you can get on social media right and you have to be there and that that's the same thing i've seen now even though i haven't moved here yet that's the same thing i realized now which is you've got to be here face to face to meet people in order to have that opportunity to really build relationship and not just kind of transactional hey can you read my thing or hey you don't know me but like you know i want to so you do have to do some of that but you also have to be here to meet with people and that's one thing that i've learned
0: Yeah, but going back to the sharing your stuff is... If you don't share your stuff and are afraid of people stealing your idea, you're just a total... You're such a total amateur. Like, I got a t- I got a tweet from somebody that I shared a script with seven years ago. Wow. <laughs> and we're going to meet up for coffee, and he remembered my script from seven years ago that I sent him called Boy Meets Assassin.
1: Boy Meets <laughs> Assassin. I like my it. My
0: script about a boy who meets an assassin. <laughs> 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 who I had actually sent to a manager seven years ago, too, and then him and I had reconnected a few years ago before I'd met my actual yeah. managers. But you put um, your work out there, and but people yeah. had read it,
1: and they remembered you years later. And
0: that's how... I'm still getting meetings from that goddamn script, <laughs> which is garbage and awful, but it's just putting yourself out there even if it's, if anyone steals Boy Meets Assassin, good luck, have fun. But like, it's it's just, it's such a, it's you have to not be afraid of that. And like, it's, it's so much, the, the reward of meeting new people and sharing your work and getting your voice out there as a writer is so much higher than somebody maybe on the off chance stealing your work.
1: And the point is, as Naval, is, we'll talk about a little bit, like to say, you want to play positive some games with people, play long-term games with long-term people instead of playing short-term games. And I think the idea was someone's going to steal my work. The idea around that is I only have one good idea, which is a short-term zero-sum game. Yeah. I only have one idea, and it's either me or the next person who gets it, who gets to do that idea. And I have no other good ideas, <laughs> which is already a bad assumption. If you already, able, you can't oh,
0: be in a TV writer's <laughs> yeah, room. You can
1: <laughs> You only have one good idea, and you're afraid that someone's going to steal your one good idea as opposed to... I have one good idea, Boy Meets Assassin, or one idea, Boy Meets Assassin, and this could possibly lead to either me making the show, or if not, hey, this leads to me to the next thing, which it did for you. And one of the things, one of the people I met with this week said to me, he said, you should have the ability to go back a year from now and look at your writing now and be like, oh, that sucks. And the self-awareness to be getting better than being able to look at your own work critically you know, critically, and say, hey, that wasn't that good. and but." not being mad at your old self, Mm -hmm. but being happy that you've developed enough now to look back in the old work and say that you needed, that it wasn't good enough.
0: Yeah, and volume matters. Uh, I wrote my first feature screenplay freshman year of high school. And in the four years during high school, I wrote, I think four screenplays, four novels, dozens of short stories, dozens of short films that I also produced a web series and then I went to U- the USC and then continued to double everything yeah. and just made more of all of that I think I wrote just two novels in, in college though so I, just two <laughs> just two <laughs> and like it's you you do see exponential uh, progress in your work if you're continually sitting down and writing uh, and now because I'm const- I, I'm just I'm able to suddenly just slip into that writing state uh, like I wrote an, an, my brand new pilot in like two weeks wow. straight yeah uh, and it was a great first draft and, and I got really good feedback for it I'm doing rewrites now but suddenly the more you're able to do this like over and over and over again and practice like this writing brain the better you gets to like when you actually have to sit down and it's game time when you have to write it's, it just flows so much easier it
1: flows and, and someone someone that I met with recently um, said this said this on Twitter today he said it may have taken you an hour to do this thing but it took you years to be able to get to the point where you could do it in an hour.
2: Yes. You may have written
1: your new pilot in two weeks, the first draft, but it took you years to get to the point where you could write it in, in two weeks. And the funny thing is, when you think about language, mm-hmm. right? when you think about um, athletics, right? the people that play in the NFL, they didn't just play college, they didn't just do high school. Actually, they've probably been playing sports since they were six or eight years old. This, is, this may be the culmination of it, but it took years and years to get to the point to even have that shot. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the mistakes as a new writer that I've made, I think I see others make it as well, is not thinking that it's a volume game. Mm-hmm. Every other area of our life, whether it's relationships, whether it's language, our command of the English language or other languages, whether it's sports or knowledge, we understand that it took 13 years of schooling to be able to get ready for college and then have mm-hmm. a professional career, but we think that this one specific thing that somehow we're not also gonna to have to do the same volume that we did in all these other industries. And, and I think that's a key part of what you're saying, which is like, you started in high school, wrote a lot in college, and now you're kind of in that flow state, but it's only because you did the years and years, and the person trying to not skip the line, but skip the talent, kind of skip the hard work, I think isn't gonna get there. And for me, when that producer said to me, hey, I think you need like two years of writing experience, or you need to go to school for two years or whatever. I just heard it as I need two years of writing. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily need to go to grad school for mm-hmm. if I can be self disciplined to write full time. But I think, I, even now, I think, I think it was about right. Like it's been about 15, 16 months, and I think eight, nine more months, and I'll feel a lot more stronger even then. And so I think his gut sense is right where I needed about two years. So yeah, I had the foundation of middle school and high school writing. Not necessarily creative writing, but other kinds of writing in English and reading books and watching films. But at some point, you actually have to do the thing we're, which we're trying to do, which is screenwriting and all the other kinds of writings. Isn't necessarily going to get you ready to do the volume of being a screenwriter.
0: But there's also a volume work of not just creative writing, but a volume work in other aspects too. So you have to read a lot, you have to watch a lot, you have to sure. experience a lot. Yeah. So what they, what's cool with you is like you've experienced all these other lives and have you you've lived in so many different aspects of different places and different careers uh, that it, that will inform your writing too. So it's, I think that the same way, like right now, my focus is not to do necessarily more volume of writing, even though I'm still writing a ton, but it's also to find a volume of new experiences, Interesting. which has been my like latest goal, which yeah. is why I'm trying to travel more, meet new people, take on more hobbies. Like this whole year has been uh, a kind of a switching gears from volume of writing to volume of experiences. Um, so I think it's definitely a volume game for everything. But let's talk about skipping the line, which is something that you talked to me a little bit about Mm -hmm. earlier was this in naval and for those of you who don't know naval has an amazing podcast that we'll link to in our show notes but was skipping the line where did you where was the origin actually
1: someone it's actually uh, a a fellow techie who just moved to hollywood about a couple weeks ago and he's friends with Naval actually Hmm. and he works with a lot of creators he'd actually moved to provo utah to to take a class with brandon sanderson his sci-fi fantasy writers class Brandon Sanderson's, is you know, very well-known fantasy author. He wrote the last few books of, 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 of The Wheel of Time and Mistborn trilogy and some other great stuff he's written. And he talked about this idea to me. He'd only been here for two weeks and he'd already met with uh, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Apple uh, through some of his tech connections. And he kind of painted this picture of there's a lot of people who are waiting in line. They spend one, two, five, ten years waiting in line. And he said, the reality is nobody actually gets to the front of the line. They either get picked out of the line, someone comes and picks them, and or uh, they cut to the front of the line using somehow. And without going into names, I think all of us can think of certain studios or people that have had the opportunity where their family has resources and money, whether they had connections from other industries, whether they had money that really allowed them to cut to the head of the line. They can make whatever movie they have because the family has the resources. And it's funny because I was at Six Flags today <laughs> and you know we did not get the Six Flags Fast Pass, which would allow us to cut the line. And so there's that feeling that you have when, you, when you're in line for 50 to 60 minutes. Now obviously in, in, in real world time, this would be years of being an assistant or, or looking for jobs, et cetera. And then you see someone come to the Fastpass and you get this kind of nuclear rage and you've been waiting in line all this time and then someone just swoops in from the fast pass line and gets to the front of the line. But the funny thing is, we could have bought the fast pass line. Uh, Fastpass, it was available to us, we just hadn't chosen. But it, it, didn't, it didn't change how angry that we felt when we saw other people cutting us in front of us in line. And so this gentleman's point that I met with uh, last week, his point was, that everyone is cutting or skipping the line somehow and it looks different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's father or family are billionaires. Not everyone has started tech companies. Not everyone has done this or does that or has the right network. But his point was that everyone is going to cut or skip the line somehow. The question for us is to figure out how. And he's not knocking or degrading the people who are waiting in line. He's just, he's just kind of realizing that usually it doesn't work out in the way we think it is and it's either relationships or resources that allows someone to skip the line. And I think part of it is also the entrepreneurial mindset or kind of that go-getter mindset of being respectful of other people, but also being willing to put themselves out there. He'd reached out to a director, uh, a well-known you know, award-winning director whose email was on his website. And he said, I just emailed the guy. And, but I didn't email him some 30 long page email. I just emailed him a couple quick notes of who, I, who, who he was and when he was interested, and he wanted to meet, and he met with the guy. And mm-hmm. his point was that if you change the mindset of thinking that you're gonna win by waiting in line, where he's saying no one's winning by waiting in line, and ultimately we kind of have to make our own luck in terms of the opportunities that allow us to either cut the line or skip the line. And that's, and that's something that I, I experienced physically at Six Fl- Flags <laughs> and, and I've seen that in, in other industries as well, where it's like, it is relationships, it is, So-and-so skips the line. You're like, oh, that's unfair. I'm more talented than them. But I think at a certain point, talent cancels to zero, Mm -hmm. right? And ultimately, it's relationships or past experience or past opportunity or resources that allow people to skip the line, even when the talent level might be equal to another person.
0: Yeah, I think the tricky part is... First of all, recognizing that Hollywood is not a meritocracy. (laughs) Like, we've been taught, like, in school. (laughs) Uh, Cough, cough, USC. Um, uh, But it's not a meritocracy. And everybody talks. I remember reading all of these screenwriting blogs and books about how the greatest scripts will float to the top. That's not... True, You have the greatest scripts get pushed to the top by people who help you step out of line, by managers, by agents, by uh, family connections, by friends, by people you meet at Mixers. Uh, you have to bootstrap your way up, not only for your own talent, not only through your hustle of writing a ton, but also through the whole side of things that no screenwriting book talks about, of networking and cold emailing people and doing so in a respectful way which I want to hear more about how kind of you approach that because I think that's really interesting. Um, But it's so important for us to figure out because I've seen a lot of people get stuck in 10 years of being an assistant and there's nothing wrong with being an assistant for 10 years. But if you've been an assistant for that long, you're most likely experiencing burnout. You're most likely struggling with the really low pay. Like it's, you're waiting in line for something that is taking a long time to happen and it doesn't, there needs to be a bit of a change in mentality of instead of waiting for somebody to anoint you to kind of taking action and figuring out the steps and the people who can help you get to where you want to go and how to activate those people and especially as women uh in this industry we need to really push back against our instincts and really ask for favors and ask for help and band together with other women mm-hmm. um That's kind of why I'm really excited about being on the executive board of Women in Cinematic Arts, because we're trying to create. Thank you. (laughs) Um, It's a really great group of women trying to lift up other women who graduated from USC. And it's just so important for us to find ways to skip the line. an interesting way. Um, So quickly, I wanna hear about kind of how you cold email people and reach out to people and set your own meetings for yourself because I think that's something that's hard to do when we just think about it abstractly, but you've done it in such an authentic, cool way. Uh, And I wanna hear kind of how you've taken your experiences from Silicon Valley to Los Angeles and Hollywood.
1: No, I appreciate that, thank you. And um, the first one is, you know, I I often say um, jokingly, but sometimes seriously, it's better to be lucky than to be good. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be good, but I think luck does factor into it. So the one producer found us via Reddit. We hadn't reached out to him. He actually quote emailed us. Another producer found us from our animator, because we were working on an animation project. Our animator had posted a lot of content and a producer emailed us and said, hey, this is really cool. Um, but so that's the luck part, right? Like where someone had found our content, um, but then it also took, hey, I'll fly to, I'll get on a plane and fly to LA And meet with you for three hours or meet with you twice in you know in the valley um so it takes part of that kind of that kind of hustle mentality as well and i think part of it for me was realizing again that thanos mentality no (laughs) one's like i've got to do it myself right and and that really is that mentality to skip the line it doesn't mean you're actually doing it yourself it just means you're kind of taking more a more more agency right In, in in our own lives and so through this whole wga solidarity challenge there's definitely a lot of people and a lot of us floating out there. For me, as as a, as, as a black veteran screenwriter, um, you know, I definitely reached out to folks that I think that I thought would be in would be more likely to to listen and or have empathize with me. So if maybe if they're a black screenwriter or if they're a veteran screenwriter or had empathy for veteran screenwriters, um, or you know, maybe if they're a sci-fi and fantasy, I'm really interested in. Uh, you'll see as one of my top books to read, The Name of the Wind. You know, I know that the King Killer Chronicle, um, you know, they're staffing the show and, and they're working on it. And I reached out to those showrunners and I sent them a tweet in the style of Quoth, you know, cause Quoth is really arrogant. And so for anyone else, it would seem like a really arrogant tweet, but they immediately got it. And we like, hey, plus one for doing a Quoth style tweet at us. Hey, send a shoot Nothing came of that, you know, or whatever, but the opportunity from really being targeted. Again, I think the rookie mistake is, here's a hundred investors a thousand investors for my startup. Here's a hundred showrunners or screenwriters or pro people, agency or managers. I'm just gonna, listen, I've done this too. And you do going mm-hmm. just blast these people the same email. Mm-hmm. First of all, they can tell it's an email blast because there's nothing specific. There's no tweet, there's nothing in your tweet or social media or email that's even specific to that person writing a specific quote style tweet versus like, hey, you're a showrunner, I wanna meet with you, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think specificity matters a lot. And people can definitely tell when you've been specific. I also think brevity also matters, right? Where it's like, who are you for me? A black veteran screenwriter, a little bit of a background in tech. All right, sci-fi and fantasy genre, boom. Like very simple, keeping it simple and sweet, not the whole sob story of this happened, that happened. Like, right, I say that for the Reddit post, right? Yeah. Like, but for actually emailing people, it's wait, no, nope, busy people are never gonna read long emails. Mm-hmm. And they s- s- may read your email and ignore you, but at least if you made it concise, at least you have the opportunity to have to respond. And then, to me, it's always like three to four sentences: like who, who, who are you? What do you want? And thank them for even considering. And what you want, you're not going to tell them you want to be staffed on a show or anything crazy like that. But what you might, what you might want is, hey, I want to be read. If you wouldn't mind reading, you know, my screenplay, or if um, I want to buy you lunch or coffee and just meet with you and build relationships and meet with you. And I found that that's been really highly successful, which is, hey, I'm going to buy you lunch or coffee. But it, it can't be a, a bait and switch. You can't meet for coffee and then bring three stacks of your screenplays mm-hmm. and then hand it to them. Hey, hey, can you read me now? Or hey, yeah. can you get me that job? It has to be authentically Again, Naval, play long-term games with long-term people. Mm-hmm. People seven years later are reaching out to you mm-hmm. after Boy Meets Assassin. <laughs> but if you've been playing the short-term game, which is, I'm only going to do Boy Meets Assassin. I'm only going to talk to people about that screenplay. That's, I'm, I'm only going to sell them on that idea. It would have faded very quickly versus Boy Meets Assassin is just one of your other ideas. And seven years later, is paying you dividends. That's mm-hmm. the compounding effect of playing long-term games. And so all these people that have been meeting with None of them, you know, when I first got out there, obviously there's excitement. A the producer wants to buy my book and turn it into a movie. But after that, it's just recon- the recognition of everyone I meet with, I go in with no expectations. Mm-hmm. Not for a job, not even to be read, nothing. All I'm just grateful that they're even willing to meet with me and ask them questions. And I found that's been super helpful. But again, because it's not like I'm trying to get hired tomorrow, but it's realizing, hey, if I want to be in this industry, and volume said that pick industries where it's beneficial to play long term games. Mm-hmm. And Hollywood being so relationally based, it is a great industry to play a long term game, which means you're not trying to win the short term, the quarterly. You know, everyone makes fun of Wall Street for making quarterly results the focus, but we all end up playing that individual game in our own life, mm-hmm. whether it be dating or writing or in our professional career, where we're only trying to win the short term game. How can I win the next three months, six months, nine months? When really we should be thinking, hey, if I am nice, continue to work hard very professional, courteous, seven years down the road, people are gonna be reaching out to me based on interaction that I had uh, seven years, based on interactions I had today. Mm-hmm. But if we're aggressive or angry or snappy, right? Mm-hmm. One screenwriter said they were gonna stop reading people's screenplays on Solidarity Challenge because someone had threatened, written them a very litigious email. That person who wrote that email, listen, I don't know what they were going through, but they were playing a very short-term game. Yeah. They either didn't get the notes they wanted or they got notes that were critical. Then they got really angry, threatened to sue instead of being very gracious, humble, thanking that person for taking the time to read their notes and starting to build other relationships. I think the other thing is you can only play long-term games. You have emotional, physical, financial stability.
2: Mm-hmm. So I
1: recognize that some people are coming from a financial or physical, emotional standpoint where they feel like they have to win now in order to survive. And that's where I think it's so critical As you've talked about in the early Kingdom of Payment podcast, you've been freelancing. Uh, You have, you know, Flannery is out there doing three, four, five jobs. Mm -hmm. And you and Flannery have built financial and emotional stability that isn't reliant on just getting hired in the next show. Which means that when you're meeting with people, you can have peace and you can relax a little bit more. Because you know you're not going to be broke if this thing doesn't fall through. So I think Mm -hmm. oftentimes we put ourselves in a position where we're forcing this meeting to be that someone's coming to save us mm-hmm. because we need to be saved. Yeah. But if you put yourself as you and Flannery have done in the position where you don't need to be saved because you're hustling, because you're freelancing, because you're you're teaching yoga, because you're doing all these other things on the side, then you have the patience to not have to play the short term game. So I think sometimes people do put themselves in the position to play the short term game. And for me it's been taking a step back and saying I'm most successful as a human being when I'm not pressure forced to be eating based off of these meetings and relationships.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, when I was in my last six months of leaving, um, of being an assistant at the agency, Verve, I was just desperate to find a job. So I felt like every drinks meeting I have, everything was about how, what am I gonna do when I'm done with my year and I get kicked out of this agency and I have to find another job. I really wanna work in this, write these writer's rooms. And the job that I ended up getting ended up being, thanks to my bosses, Um, And I felt like I didn't have as solid relationships with all the other students I had been meeting with on drinks because I was clearly in a place of I am struggling and I am worried about what's next and the future is unclear. And I never wanted to be in that position again. And I always wanted to kind of create an environment where I'm going to drinks and networking meetings, wanting to know who the other person is, Absolutely. and wanting to know what's interesting about them, what they want to do, and how I can best serve them in terms of connecting them with my other friends, uh, and kind of creating a network of really cool people that will all rise on in the industry together, and understanding who they are and how to help them.
1: And and that's a key mistake that I'm again I myself have made this several times. I'm probably gonna make it a thousand times in the future and others definitely make this mistake, you run into a top-level producer, right? Producer reached out to me, uh, a multiple-time different producer reached out, and you, again, you think the big person is going to pull you up to the level. But mm-hmm. the reality is you're all going to rise together at the peer level yes. with other people. Yeah. But again, it takes a long-term mentality. Your best friend, who's you know an assistant, isn't going to tomorrow be a showrunner. It may be 20 years down the road, but if all, you, if all we do is spend our time trying to meet the people who are successful now instead of building the network as you've done with people who are at likewise level. It doesn't mean we don't have vertical relationships, but it's going to be our peer groups, I think, that take us the further, the furthest, and I think that's something that I've learned. I would, just to button up, kind of in terms of kind of the quote-unquote hustle, and again, I don't think this is quote-unquote hustle. I think there's a genuine... Connections that happen. So when Idalia and you met uh, for 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 the art, the kingdom of payment, payment article, we met briefly. You know, I said, "Hey, this is a really interesting person," and I think we followed up on social media. Mm-hmm. Like I followed you on Instagram, and then messaged and followed and, and sent some of the stuff there. But again, that's not a transactional thing. I wasn't like, "Hey, can Amy get me a job, or can Amy read my screenplays, or something like that?" It was, "Hey, this is a really interesting person who's doing yoga." who's really trying to help the world. And so I think it also helps when we choose and try to build relationships with people that we absolutely, authentically, organically like, mm-hmm. right? Like I like and admire you as a human being and the fact that we can connect on a professional level you even- You too. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that we can connect on a professional level even better, it means I don't have to fake anything. Yeah, I'm not like, oh, well, I need to meet with this person. And I think for so many people it's like, well, I need to meet with this person because I have something I want. Mm-hmm. Instead it's like, hey, there's a lot of people that have what you want. Or are people that you should be friends with? Why don't you choose to try to be friends with people that you already like naturally like and you have an organic kind of connection to, but you definitely have to follow up. I think so many people, I've seen this in tech, I've seen it in Hollywood, don't follow up. Mm-hmm. You have a great meeting or you meet someone briefly. Like, Imagine if I never followed up after meeting with you, we wouldn't be here having this kind of podcast yeah. thing. And I think it takes the discipline to say, to know again, A, I can meet 100 people. I can follow up with all 100 people. Guess what? Not every single person is getting back to me. Mm-hmm. But we don't know what's going on in their life. They may be busy. They may have had a family member pass away. They may be going through personal stuff, or they may just be like not want new friends. Mm-hmm. But we can't be discouraged by the people who don't, who 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 aren't wanting to have a relationship with us. We have to focus on of those 100 people. Maybe only 10 or 15 are like, "Hey, so great to meet you. Let's meet up again." But then we have to follow up. You know, every time I come to LA, I'm meeting and connecting with all the people that I already met with. I'm, already, I'm reaching out to them, I'm emailing them, I'm reaching out. If you just imagine that Amy or someone else is thinking about me, like Amy's got 17 other projects she's got going on, she's not waking up thinking about me <laughs> and how to help me. Like the next person isn't me, and I don't necessarily need them to. But as the person who is trying to break in, taking agency also means being uh, considered the other person's time, but also being diligent to follow up, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Definitely. No, definitely. Uh, And kind of of moving off of that, I want to hear a little bit more about, you've been meeting with a lot of different kinds of people out here in LA, and I want to hear about the lessons that you've learned from them and kind of the advice that you've given, that you've received from them uh, in terms of how to move about the world uh, and how to take these meetings and how to kind of make the best use of people's times that you're sitting down with.
1: Awesome. The first person I met in Hollywood was the ex-superhero producer, uh, franchise producer. And I definitely learned from that one, A, how to be kind of just gracious and kind. He was just a super gracious, he is a super gracious, super kind human being. And you're like, this is part of the reason he's been successful because no one is walking out of that meeting, whether or not they get a deal or don't, whether they get what they want or not, Mm -hmm. and not just thinking this is an amazing human being. And he's just super kind and thoughtful. But on top of that, like I told you, I learned done is definitely not better than perfect. Mm -hmm. And I learned in the first meeting that I ever had in Hollywood, which is like, hey, there are not, something's different than tech. And one thing different than tech is you can't just float around with your idea or concept. You need to be presenting the workshop, uh, writers grouped, manager, you know, advised, best version of your idea because you're competing against. When I went in this producer's office, he had several... Uh, best-selling books of the last forty or fifty years that I recognized, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, this was the quote-unquote competition." Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he was just going to take some unpublished manuscript that was mediocre quality and then turn it into a film. When he's got seventy-five other books that he could look into a film, so I learned then you got to you got to be nice, but you also have to present the absolute best uh, best best foot forward. Uh, another showrunner that I met with uh, uh, this past week. He talked about asking two questions to people mm-hmm. about 20-25 minutes in so i was riffing with him on the ex-superhero producer meeting and he was kind of cringing on some of the, the oh, different no. things that happened but he's like listen it wasn't fatal like you just you were great you didn't know you didn't know some mm-hmm. of these things and he said two questions you should always ask how are we doing on time about 20-25 minutes in because mm-hmm. it shows that you're considered of the person that mm-hmm. you're asking you're asking to coffee or lunch or you're meeting with be considerate of their time
2: mm-hmm. not everyone
1: is easily able to be like, oh, wow, I got to leave. So how are we doing on time? He also said we should ask, what is our biggest mistake? Or excuse me, what is their biggest mistake? Hmm. And it shows, again, you should be asking questions, you should be listening, but you should also have specific questions you want to ask people. Mm -hmm. Not just, hey, producer, how did you start producing big superhero films? You should have very specific questions that that are more than the obvious. Because everyone wants to know how the successful person got their most successful, you know, thing. But what were their biggest mistakes, and that yet they still found themselves sitting in the seat where they're mm-hmm. at. You know, I think is is something that I'm learned. And uh, uh, there was another, uh, actually, kind of a screenwriter's assistant, writers' assistant, someone that I met with this week. I learned about the pitching process. So one of the green things that I had done is that I'd actually written an entire screen sorry i gotta
0: plug in my computer yeah please
1: do <laughs> i kept seeing if we, the,
0: if we get like just like cut off in the middle it's because my computer died and i'm terrible at remembering how to plug it
1: i kept seeing the <laughs> notice there and i, was, I like, just like finally it. noticed it and i'm just <laughs> yeah. like
0: oh this is like a ticking time bomb it kind of going to... my eyes a little bit because <laughs> i, was I saw it. that and i was like, like oh, oh that. yeah that was cool
1: i was like i was gonna like point to it and look at it <laughs> And, um, this is
0: the equivalent. I kicked my cat out today, but were still find distractions.
1: <laughs> there's, there's more distractions to come. And so I remember this up-and-coming screenwriter, writer assistant, he and his wife uh, actually went to Japan on a trip, got a concept for an idea. So to your point about building volume through experiences, mm-hmm. this idea doesn't come if him and his wife don't travel.
2: Mm-hmm. They had an
1: idea for a screenplay, green version of me. Right, Amateur version of me would say, oh, I'm going to go write a whole feature Let's screenplay. You see this on Reddit, on Facebook groups all the time. And then I'm going to go take it out to people who I think could be interested in it. I see that people with experience are like, hey, I had a cool concept. I'm going to outline it. I'm going to pitch it to people who could partner with us on this project. And then I'm going to go kind of write this kind of full version. And, and that's not necessarily the case in everything, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. writing pilots... And the scissor reel and things like that, but I definitely didn't notice there was the professional version of it, which is you do the minimum thing necessary to get the next step through. So, as up-and-coming writers, a lot of times we do have to write the full pilot, a pitch bible, a scissor reel, etc., because they need to see the full fully formed world. But sometimes I've learned through my own process and through some other people where you need to think about what is the actually next step that's going to get me forward and i may end up doing this huge thing i did i wrote a feature length 117 page screenplay thinking that i could go to the producer and be like hey here you go and he emailed me back and he's like dude what are you doing <laughs> and i it made it almost was exactly those words and that's why the showrunner was commiserating me He was like oh you're so green you just you didn't know though you didn't know yeah. it's just like not how it's done like it's not how you throw your hat in the ring right and you got to so you got to be tactical in terms of that everything involves i need to write 170 page. i need to write 60 page pilot some of it involves knowing how to pitch the right people showing them you have a strong concept and then if they're like yeah let's move forward and then you kind of write the, f- the full length version of it mm-hmm. the last thing i learned uh, it's projecting new reality to old reality. Mm-hmm. So I got the opportunity through a producer that had reached out to us via Instagram, social media, on the animation project. He connected us to a VP of a production firm in uh, based in, in New York City, and you know I connected with this VP. You know I was really excited. The producer had a really kind intro, probably one of the nicest introductions anyone has ever made no. for me. Something. Wow, this is great. And then it came down to it, and she was like, What well, do you live in New York?" And I said no I don't but I could and you know so I I, I checked back in with this producer this past week and he's like whatever happened with that with that New York gig and I told him and he kind of cringed and he was like you know what it's not about I said well I wanted to be honest he said it's a very simple are you based in New York or you're not if you want to take a job in New York you're based in New York you might not be in this moment living full-time in New York but you're based in New York for the purposes of of getting that job and I learned it's not about fibbing the truth or fuzzing the truth or kind of Steve Jobs' reality distortion. It's about lowering friction between kind of the thing that we want. You know, for this VP of the production company, she's got a 1,000 qualified candidates, probably most of them who also have an inside connection the same way that I did. And all of them, if not virtually all of them, probably actually live in our based in New York. And so when you have one candidate who's like, well, I, I don't live there, but I could, and, you're just like why would you, you you're not gonna put that at the bottom of the pile mm-hmm. not because you have any dislike but because it, it's it's not worth the extra effort And so one thing I've learned is kind of creating projecting the new reality into the old reality again we have to do this with integrity with honesty but we also have to lower the friction so I just Amy just minutes before the podcast, to give you the example a uh, uh, a writer with a production deal at one of kind of the the, the one of the premium, uh, channels just reached out asking the last few hours and said, "Hey, I can meet tomorrow in the valley." And normally, I would have said, "Hey, I'm based so and so place, but I can meet you there." But it's, it's learning to project a new reality, which is just very simply, "I can meet you in the valley." Mm-hmm. What do you want to meet, and what time works for you? And so many times, again, I myself make this mistake all the time. We want to tell the sob story, and the sob story just means anything that is not directly relevant to what we're what is what is right in front of us the mm-hmm. whole sob story of oh i can move to new york is a sob story because it's not relevant to what she wants mm-hmm. are you based in new york yes or no for the person doing this job yes oh no you're not everything else is a sob story hey i'm not in santa monica tomorrow i'm gonna be in the valley can you meet in the valley i could give the sob story well i'm staying over here over there mm-hmm. and then i'm gonna get over there and gonna use this or i could just be like I can meet you in the valley where and when it works for you.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so it's a lot of the self-discipline, which is hard for, hard for me, hard for, I think, people in general, to cut out the sob story when we're trying to build new relationships, connections, and just cut straight to the chase. I can meet you in the valley. I'm based in New York. Not the all the extra stuff that has no relevance to the person who's already too busy Then trying to figure out whatever your sob story is. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, are some of the lessons that I've been fortunate enough to learn in the last, you know, 14, 15 months.
0: And that's awesome. Like, that's so important, and there's so much to learn there for people who are trying to learn the language of the, that, that people talk out here, and kind of how to... Fit into people's busy schedules and make things as simple as possible for them which i think is really important um, i just want to talk really quickly about um, the experience i've had as an assistant because i think that the assistant track is not for everybody but if it is for you you have to figure out how to get into it really quickly and then get out of it really quickly because a lot of people get into being an assistant uh, learn a ton from whether they start as an agency assistant or manager's assistant, uh, and then they move up to showrunner's assistant, writer's assistant. Uh, maybe they get an episode on a show, and then they get stuck. And I think the problem here I've heard is... heard that a
1: lot just in the last couple weeks. Yeah,
0: and I think the, the tricky part is it kind of go, goes back to... You recommended me the podcast about um, by Naval. Naval um, I mean, Khan. So phenomenal. And he talks a lot about... He he has like so much great advice that we've been talking about on this podcast. But one thing that really sticks out to me in in terms of like all this different kinds of reading about entrepreneurship and in books like I remember reading Seth Godin's book Purple Cow in high school and talking about how to make your product or whatever you're offering something different and something special. Sure. And when we're here in Hollywood, the most important thing is to figure out how to brand ourselves. And when we're an assistant it's so tricky to get lost in this, well, I'm, assistant, I'm an assistant for this producer or writer or agent, but what I really wanna do is X, Y, Z. Eventually, you've gotta to start to change the branding conversation and say, I am a TV writer. Uh, like, as soon as I got an episode as a writer assistant on the show Condor, I just started saying, I'm a TV writer. I write TV because I wrote an episode of TV.
1: That's awesome. I didn't have to.
0: (laughs) Thank you. I didn't have to get into the sob story of, well, I work my way up as an assistant. I'm currently a writer's assistant. I co-wrote an episode. I got a freelance. It's no, I'm a TV YouTube writer.
2: writer. Yeah. Uh,
0: I wrote an episode of television or I tell people that I co-wrote uh, and that's just what my reality became because that is what I'm doing and that's what my life is and having to kind of reframe the conversation and now when I sit down with people, I tell them I'm a TV writer uh, and right. I think that's really powerful because then they look across the table and they don't see an assistant. They see a writer uh, and that's helped me in a lot of different meetings and different circumstances but if you get stuck in this idea of I'm an assistant but what I really want to do you kind of still need to make that leap for yourself of when do you cross that bridge when You're do saying. you burn the bridge of being an assistant when do you say I was an assistant but now I'm a writer and this is what I'm doing because I feel like you've almost have to define the moment that you quit being an assistant if nobody's going to pull you out of line you have to pull yourself out of line which is tough to do because we all have our different financial circumstances. We all have our different circumstances with needing our bosses to kind of help us advance to that next level. Um, But when it comes down to branding, we need to decide the moment that we've made it to that next level, whether it's X amount of shows or whatever. We kind of need to make sure that we make that jump, whether we have an episode or not. Like once you start telling other people that you are a writer And you're no longer an assistant. I feel like that changes a switch in their minds.
1: What was the moment for you where, obviously you wrote the episode of Condor, when you Mm -hmm. started telling people, like, what was the trigger? And what do you think has been the biggest change in tone that you've noticed from other people when you tell them, I am a TV writer?
0: Uh, It just, everything is so different. (laughs) I, I feel like. Even though I've been, nothing changed other than somebody gave me an opportunity. Like I have always been a TV writer. I've always been that focus. But now it gives me an an air of legitimacy at mixers and other things. And it helps that I have the co-writing credit. But just when I started telling people I'm a TV writer, then every meeting felt different. Every situation felt different because it's not like, I made that invisible jump because, unfortunately, there is that stigma when you're an assistant that you're you're helping other people. You're still an apprentice, and those are all still things you can learn from. But you need to kind of make the jump for yourself, and then people see you as a partner and a collaborator instead of somebody who gets you coffee. Even one though one of the
1: one of the quotes in in the name of the wind, which uh-huh. is one of the stories that was momentum changing for me by Patrick Rothfuss, the make the protagonist quote says we all become who we pretend to be. Mm-hmm. And he has a whole kind of riff and names and storytelling and whatnot. But it is interesting. Like, you're not pretending to be. You are a TV writer. Mm-hmm. You were a TV writer. But there's one story of yourself where you're a showrunner's assistant and you explain the, the quote-unquote sob story. And there's another story. That you're the same person. Nothing has changed. Yeah. But you're now, I am a TV writer and you become the story that you pretend to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and that really does have power. And it's interesting for me to hear that.
0: Yeah, so I think it's I think it's when we're talking about jumping out of line, when we're talking about finding mentors, and when we're talking about all this stuff, it's important for you to define your own narrative and your own story at what point you turn what corner and how you do so and how you figure out your day job situation and how you kind of set the chessboard so that you are... Making a decision to be what you want to be. You're the queen on your
1: chest on the (laughs) chessboard, by the
0: way. Thank you. Yeah, definitely
1: the queen piece.
0: (laughs) But that project your new reality onto your old reality, I think, is really important, especially when you're making the the leap. Because I've met so many people, especially on all of the WGA mixers that we had right when we fired our agents and all that jazz. Like when that happened, everybody that I met, a lot of them were still assistants and they're like, oh, woe is me. I'm still an assistant. I'm still struggling. And I'm like, I was just at that point in my life, but you have to turn the corner and then present exactly. yourself at mi- at mixers as I am a writer, I am a professional, wow. and then people will see you differently. Wow. So, that's just something important. Yeah. Um, but when it comes down to like putting together this uh, advice uh, and thoughts of these things that have kind of colored our our pivots and the kind of the things that we've made, we've come up with a list that we will put together on Kingdom of Pavement of the momentum changing. Is that what you said? Yeah, momentum
1: changing. Momentum
0: yeah. changing. I because like that. Because I think that. there's a
1: lot of good books and ideas and podcasts out yeah. there. But the question for me, and even when you kind of asked me to think about books and content and ideas, uh, by the way, the list is a lot longer than that now. And, and, when, and, and when you really think about it, to me the question is what is something where I can remember reading or listening or watching this and it actually changed either the course of my life, the direction of my life, mm-hmm. or was momentum gave me momentum, took away momentum, or however that is. And I yeah. think that's different. I actually ended up reaching out to a few friends about this and because I was kind of curious, and now I'm like inundated with people just sharing their stories of different ideas and content that were momentum sh- changing for them. So I think that's interesting, where I think everyone has and can identify experiences, people, ideas, or books, or content mm-hmm. that was momentum changing for them.
0: So I think we should share our top three momentum changing books, articles, podcasts, especially if they relate to writing, the industry, or your mentality that kind of brought you to where you are today.
1: Okay. Should I go first? Yeah, go first. All three or just one?
0: Uh, start with all three. Just go all three. Go all three. I'll all in.
1: I would say, on this list in front of me I'm looking, I would say um, Walt Disney, A Tribe of American Imagination uh, was one. I'll get back to it in a second. Um, Michael Arndt. Uh, endings uh, mm-hmm. that he, he, this video he put together on his, his his website Pandemonium and that was a major one and then The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss mm-hmm. uh, those are the three I think most relate to the industry and um, Walt Disney and Triumph of Amer- American Imagination uh, this great, you know, book by, uh, biography by Neil Gabler kind of chronicling Walt's journey from kind of like hustler slash animator struggling in the Midwest, failed, lost all of his family's money, and then came here to LA working with Alice, uh, you know, this young woman, and doing kind of these animated live action type deals. Obviously, everyone knows by now, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, he, how he lost that, lost his whole animation team. And just, I think, we think of Disney now as the monolith, the empire, the one who's putting in they own Marvel they own Pixar they own Fox now they own all these things but really reading the origin story I think of me was so inspiring Hmm. I think Walt is an interesting inspiring individual as a person he kind of was like the Elon Musk and Steve Jobs of his day Hmm. but when he built Epcot and Disney World it wasn't meant originally to be just like Parks it was meant to be it it sounded as crazy to people as when Elon says he's going to go build a civilization on Mars Hmm. and so Walt Disney was the Steve Jobs uh, JK Rowling and, and and Elon Musk all rolled up in, in his day and I think that was a, very, it was a momentum shift, shifting book for me because I saw just how long, hard and grueling even the most successful people in Hollywood were and how many road bumps there were in the way and so it gave me the courage to know hey it could be 10-20 years and you have failures or betrayals or it doesn't work out and you can still be Walt Disney
2: mm-hmm. and, and
1: that was really important for me um, Michael Arndt on endings.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, he put together this video. I think what makes Michael Arndt different than the master classes, or Save the Cat, or any of the screenwriting books, uh, or even the podcast, is that he teaches and then he shows and then he reinforces the point.
2: Hmm. He's like a
1: great sermonizer type person, where it's like, "Hey, here's this concept on. We did this at Pixar. It may not work for you, but if you're stuck, this is this is how we did things." And then I did this in Little Miss Sunshine, and I'll give you the example. And this is kind of the principle that I'll tell you. And now I'm actually going to show you the scenes from the different films, Little Miss Sunshine, The Graduate, and Star Wars A New Hope, you know, episode one well now episode four, and I will show you the thing. And so you can he teaches the concept, he breaks it down, he shows you the example, and then he kind of breaks it down minute by minute exactly what happened. And for me, trying to learn how to be a screenwriter and a storyteller I, it was just even now I'll watch it. Or I'll send it to people, and it's been so impactful for me because I just keep coming back to this idea of philosophical stakes and emotional stakes and and the physical stakes of a story. And just the whole way he breaks it down is a really key framework for me to understand even the own, my own stories I'm telling. And then The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss hmm. is just I would consider to be. I grew up on Will of Time. Got up into a son of Ice and Fire. I would consider Kingkiller Chronicle, Name of the Wind, and The uh, uh, Wiseman's Fear, which is book two, book three, unreleased, Doors of Stone, I would consider at least the first two books two of, if not the best fantasy books of all time. Hmm. And I think Name of the Wind is actually the only series. Now, I know a lot of people watch Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. but not a lot of people are reading those books. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a sci-fi and fantasy nerd who was always that kid in the bus of, why are you reading books, man? Like, why are you <laughs> always reading your books? The Name of the Wind was the first book that I could recommend to non-fantasy readers. Hmm. And they would come back and say, I loved that book.
0: Wow. And
1: I think that speaks to Pat's storytelling ability, his writing ability, and just the interesting way he subverted the typical fantasy tropes
2: mm-hmm. and
1: made the protagonist this relatable to a lot of people outside of the fantasy world. Hmm. And, and so reading his book, I'm always quoting quote. But I'm also trying to learn from Pat on how he was able to create a story that transcended its genre, and mm. I think films like Get Out did that right. Uh, obviously, you know, Game of Thrones did that in terms of uh, on TV writing, and I think you know they're, the great stories like this transcend the genre of that they're that they're kind of pigeonholed into, and and so that's why I enjoy The Name of the Wind.
0: Wow, those are my three. So my three ones are. Grit by Angela Duckworth, The Power of Vulnerability by Brene Brown, and The Story Grid by Sean Cohn. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Yeah, maybe. Um, So I read both... I read two of these last year, and they had a profound impact on my uh, experience this year creating new content. Uh, And Grit by Angela Duckworth, I think you'll really like, because she talks a lot about how they... The people at West Point uh, had a, sp- a particular test that would determine who would be able to survive the program.
2: Interesting. And
0: the test that the number one skill that everybody who could survive West Point had was grit. Wow. was this combination of perseverance, hustle, uh, just this ability to overcome obstacles and not yeah. get knocked down by setbacks, which I see in you, and I think is really, I think why you love reading this book, because it's just kind of this reinforcement of this idea that if you're gritty, if you're a gritty person, if you get knocked down but can get back up again, you'll succeed no matter what, and I think it's a really, it's just a really inspirational read, and I read it, and I was like, hmm, this is just like so... (laughs) I love this because it just yeah. shows how important it is for us to practice our grittiness in this industry and in our writing. And when you're struggling with a failure or something challenging, you kind of reapproach it as a learning experience. Um, that's
2: phenomenal.
0: So I think that's really important uh, whenever we're facing a lot of failure. Yeah. Um, the second one is The Power of Vulner- Vulnerability by Brene Brown. Uh, in the past year, I've written uh, a bunch of different op-eds and personal essays,
1: I read your recent <laughs> one in the, in the LA Times. Thank and, you. And I yeah. loved it.
0: Thank you, yeah. yeah. And even even my brother said that I kind of turned a corner when I started writing about things that scared me. It's really important for us to use the written word to share these things and to talk Absolutely. about how things are unfair or a struggle. And the power of being open and talking about things that are Personal or ignoring this idea of that oh our generation is oversharing. And I think it's better to be vulnerable and talk about all these things that we don't usually talk about, rather than have shame around things or hide things. And that goes both in our fiction writing and our nonfiction writing. That's um,
1: powerful. That's phenomenal.
0: Yeah, and that book was recommended to me by one of my ghostwriting clients, by one of my first ghostwriting clients, and she, she like she she turned into some pages to me that she had written that just changed my life. After reading that book, it just really made me realize how important it is to share the trauma we've gone through and to talk about it. So, yeah. Uh, And then the third one is the story grid. And I am such a a structured nut. I love being able to take a look at a screenplay or a novel and be able to tell you what's not working and why and what part of the the story isn't working. Uh, and I remember having this at my desk at one of my writer's rooms. And my boss came over and he's like, would this be helpful for what we're working on? And I was like, yes. Wow. <laughs> so I grabbed this book and then did a sketch on what, we, what he was working on, one of his sure. features. Uh, and then we sat down together and talked about it in the context of the story grid and this really great kind of workbook about talking about the function of genre and the different genres and how each genre has a set of scenes that must exist in every story. Um, and this idea that like every genre comes with this predis- predisposition for the audience of what they're expecting coming in. And you can either subvert that or but you have to still have that scene or yeah. a, the subversion on that scene in the draft, or else it feels empty. Wow. Uh, and it talks a lot about the thriller genre, which is my favorite. And yeah. so there's a, a lot of really good information about kind of how to identify what's missing in your work. Wow. So, yeah, that's one of my absolute favorite books um, of form. So. Well, I'm
1: excited to dig into the, the story <laughs> Grid.
0: Yeah, but uh, well,
1: I've not read Grit or The Power of One, really. I've listened to a couple podcasts with Angela and then Renee Brown as well. Yeah. And I uh, and like what you said about the the, the memoir, Friend. I've always been told, you know, a friend had always said to me, said, the pain in your own life is a passport into the pain of someone else's life Mm -hmm. who has experienced that. But we we can't know that unless we're vulnerable enough to kind of share that. Even your recent LA Times op-ed, I'm sure is helping so many women and so many men and so many countless people, but we can only help them if we're vulnerable enough to kind of share our story. Mm
0: -hmm. And so kudos
1: to you. For being warm enough to share your story, you know, like you said, your brother's saying you turned a corner, and and that really is powerful, and hopefully an example and encouragement for other people to to, to share our stories as well.
0: Yeah, no, it's really. I'm, I feel like I'm growing every time I read something new. So, uh, if anyone has any more recommendations, please send us our way, and we'll add to this list. <laughs>
1: and you've only got eighty-four books to go.
0: <laughs> and I've got quite a few books to go. Because <laughs> you're rest at of
1: sixteen, year. and you want to get to hundred, so. Uh,
0: I almost read a book over this past week when I was in Santa Barbara, almost, but okay. I instead you're 85 had five
1: and one quarter way there. I
0: had to write them. I had to write books. I had books to write this week. Yeah, um, it's hard to write
1: and read at the same time.
0: It is. It's very hard. So I want to know, to kind of wrap things up, I want to know one thing that is super cool or that you're excited about, whether it's a book, a podcast experience, travel, whatever right now that you're excited about.
1: Um, I'm excited, honestly, about this idea of learning about what people's books and ideas and podcasts, you know, really changed their life. It's been amazing that since you asked me this question four or five days ago, that as I reached out to maybe only a dozen or 15 people, how even people that I hadn't really talked to in several months and really resonated with them. And I thought that was really fascinating that people are eager to kind of share the things that help change the momentum of their life
2: mm-hmm. and
1: in a way that they aren't eager to share or share other things. And I thought that was really cool. Travel-wise, uh, I haven't been... I've been to 45 states <laughs> in the country. I've been to Hawaii, Alaska, North South Dakota, and Maine. I'm hoping to get to one of those states in the next six months and possibly Iceland. So those are nice. kind of some experiences to hopefully try to create out of thin air. Ex Nilo is, <laughs> is the Latin word for kind of creating something out of nothing. And I don't have any trips planned yet, but I'd like to create them ex Nilo, like out of nothing. That would be fun.
0: Nice. That's awesome.
1: And you, what is your one cool thing?
0: Um, why my I one cheated, cool... by the
1: way. My one cool thing was three cool, That's three okay. cool things. That's okay. You're
0: allowed to have <laughs> multiple cool things. More cool things, the better. Um, I don't know. Like the... I think okay when i tell people that like the universe pushed you to do something this week i think that i i think people are like okay the universe what does that mean a series of coincidences um but like this week in particularly i was struggling with a um i was struggling with a really challenging decision and like i came like i suddenly received a lot of emails about it and had a lot of friends give outpouring about it and i don't want to talk about it yet but like it's I think it's it's tough when we're struggling with something and we're not sure what to do what's the right decision but when we get like a stream of like suddenly ten things happen in a way that pushes us one way or another to kind of create space for ourselves like i it just it's really special when like the stars align and something just happens and i I'm very grateful. Whenever that happens, and whenever my life changes drastically in a way that I think is going to be better, um, and that's both on the personal front and the business front, and I have a bunch of like things coming together that I didn't expect, and yeah, another thing well for that, yeah. because that's awesome, <laughs> yeah, so super for you. yeah, there's a lot of just like good things in the works, and I feel energized by everything, and I feel like I've not always been able to say that. And call I it feel... universe
1: karma. Call <laughs> it serendipity Good luck, you're making whatever. It, it's aligned for you yeah. and that's really cool to see i, it, I feel and I'm happy for you
0: thank you i feel very lucky and i i feel very lucky to be able to to share this podcast and our list of great recommendations <laughs> and to get everybody to listen to Naval's podcast, which I've yes. been sending it around um, because I think the sharing of knowledge is really, really powerful. Absolutely,
1: How people been responding to the podcast. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah, no, it's yeah. been really lovely to, to share it. And I think that we need to have more book clubs. Yeah. And we need to have more opportunities to bring people together and talk about what we love and talk about ideas and more salons. I know that Absolutely. Flannery wrote a piece about her favorite salons around Los Angeles. Ah, interesting. Uh, and I think having these spaces where we can be intellectually challenged and yeah. kind of take the learning that we did in college and, and, and ratchet it up another level is important.
1: That's awesome. So. Fun fact uh, Ben Franklin, I learned this from the Walter Isaacson biography. Yes. Ben Franklin was very big on the salons, literary clubs, mm-hmm. eating clubs, that kind of deal. And uh, hopefully you'll make a great comeback, you know. As, yes. Like you said, because it's it, it's so much is professionally focused. Hey, like WJ Mixer, etc. Mm-hmm. But we do need these spaces where they're not necessarily around a profession or a career objective, yeah. but just around the sharing of really interesting and intellectual ideas.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, we really appreciate you tuning in. Thanks for Dave for coming on the podcast. Thank
1: you for having me. Real quick. I didn't yes. say this earlier. 5505 was the point in time, 55 minutes and 5 seconds into the last podcast, where you mentioned me and I was so excited I think I messaged (laughs) you right away I screenshotted it and so I'm so honored to be here after 5505 so thank you for having me thanks for listening
0: well awesome alright everybody if you appreciated this podcast you can go ahead and donate to us on Patreon you can like subscribe subscribe share or sub-share. I don't know there's a combination (laughs) of that I'm sure that exists on some app or another but thank you all for listening and we really appreciate it